The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. As you're coming back in, let me give you a little bit of a programming note. I'm the type of person who always likes to know what's happened and how that fits with what's happening today and what's coming next, and so I like to share that with other people as well. And uh, you, you know, um, if you've been coming here or if you can read, that uh, we are in the middle of this series called Advent and Christmas, preparing for the day of the Lord, and we did four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, and we had two really beautiful Christmas Eve services here. And I'm sorry if you missed those. We, we missed you if you weren't able to be here, but we had a, a number of guests and visitors with us, and we were nice and full, and those were, those were always some of my favorite services of the year. And uh, today, as some of you may know, is New Year's Day, and so we, I, I, originally this series was going to end with Christmas Eve. We were going to start something new on New Year's Day, and then I'm like, well, there's not probably going to be very many people there, so... Why don't we just extend this series a little bit? We'll, we'll kind of fudge it a little bit, and at the last couple of weeks, it'll be more holiday generic than Advent and Christmas, and today is, is New Year's Day, obviously, and so it sort of fits that. And then next week, we will conclude the series for real, and we're going to con- conclude next week with a, um, a message about epiphany, which for much of the early history of the church was far and away the most important Christian holiday, um, much more important than Christmas um, even more important than, than Easter in many people's minds. So we will talk about that next week. But today, New Year's Day, we are, uh, this message is called Resolute. And obviously it's a, it's a play off the idea of New Year's resolutions. And I, I want to confess something to you at the beginning is that I uh, used to be pretty uh, anti-New Year's resolution. Um, I was quite outspoken about this, much to the annoyance of my friends in college. I would be like, you know, why do you, have to, why do you have to wait till the first day of the year to make a positive change in your life, man? Why, why can't you just do that any day of the year, man? Um, so I guess I basically was a New Year's resolution hipster. Like, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Well, I made resolutions before it was popular. Um, <laughs> I did it like six months ago. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known about it then. Um, <laughs> So that was, that was my perspective, but hopefully I've grown up a little bit since then, um, because the truth is it is natural, of course, to look at our lives on the first day of the year and say, you know, this is a time, this is a good time to make a change, um, out with the old and with the new and all that stuff. And one of the things that I would suggest to you is that if we are successful in making resolutions, um, it can actually have a great effect on our faith, even if the resolutions that we make are not specifically um, you know, religious or spiritual. And the reason I say that is you'd be amazed at how intertwined everything in your life is. I always talk about how it's a false dichotomy to say this is the, this is the material uh, or the, the bodily, the physical, and this is the spiritual, and, and we need to, like, keep track of them separately because they're all kind of the same thing. We're holistic beings. Um, man. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's really interesting to me how... 
if you, like, say, for example, you finally decide, I'm going to get my finances under control. I'm going to be intentional about what I spend and what I save and how I pay off debt and how I um, do all these things. If you do that, you, you suddenly, like, you'll find yourself losing weight alongside it. You didn't even mean to. You're eating better and you're exercising more because you're, you're, you're just, it sort of has coattails. You know, you get, you're, get your life together in one area. You tend to get your life a little more together in other areas. And those of you who've done, like, um, FPU, our Financial Peace University thing, um, or Crown, when we did that back in the day, you probably noticed that kind of thing. A lot of people did. Um, so when you, when, you, when you resolve to take life by the horns and, and um, start being intentional and making better decisions, that tends to permeate other areas of your life. And so even, the, even if you're making a resolution about uh, your diet or exercise or your finances or whatever, um, you may find that that has a positive impact on the so-called spiritual life um, also. Uh, and even given that, and even given the fact that I'm, I've maybe grown up a little bit about my anti-New Year's resolution stance, uh, I'm not going to spend today talking about what type of things make good Christian New Year's resolutions. Um, and instead, what I want to do is look at a few stories in the Bible where individuals um, made key decisions. You might call them resolutions um, to follow God in a specific way or to do a specific thing. And I don't want to do that. These people didn't make their decisions because they were like, oh, I've got to update my Facebook status in the morning. I might as well come up with something to do, like a resolution. Um, But they did it because they were truly and actually resolute, um, which, of course, is a little word that you see in resolution, meaning that they were determined and unwavering in what they wanted to do. And hopefully these stories will serve as kind of a model for us, maybe some more positive models than others. Um, And they'll inspire us in our own efforts to make key decisions, to be resolute in how we follow God and the decisions we make about that. Um, Because really, I I think there are moments in life when the difference between failing in your faith and thriving in your faith is, is nothing more than the decision to stop being wimpy about it and start being resolute. Um, so that's what that title is all about today. So I have, um, given we have a sort of a smaller crowd and we're all maybe a little bit tired and if Scott gave a normal sermon, we might, not us, but like the person next to us might fall asleep. Um, uh, what I decided to do today was to be a little bit more discussion-based. Now, if you're visiting with us today, um, that's kind of weird, uh, but I, I'm happy you're here, but I, I, would, I would probably sleep in on New Year's Day if I didn't already have a church to go to. But um, anyway, welcome. <laughs> and we don't, I just want to tell you, we don't do this every week, so if, if, if talking with strangers about the Bible um, on a Sunday morning kind of freaks you out, uh, that doesn't mean that artisan is always going to freak you out, only occasionally. Um, well, that's a good point, Ben. If your New Year's resolution was to go to church more often, it would make sense to start today. Yes, thank you. Um, I can't help be a, um, what's the other word, a wiseacre. Um, <laughs> that's just, my, if I was making New Year's resolutions, one of them would be to not be a, a wiseacre. Um, I think I got that from, like, Archie Comics or something. <laughs> it's really a keen word, though. Um, okay, man. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is, uh, we've got four sections of seating, and they're roughly equally populated, and so if you want to 
if you want to help out the people in the, in the smaller sections from the edges, that's okay. Um, but I have got four Bible stories, and what I'm going to do is have you look at the Bible stories. Somebody in your group will read them aloud, and if, it's, if, it's, if it turns out to be too big, you can do two groups per section. Whatever works, okay? I'm not going to be uh, dogmatic about this. But one person in the group will read the story, and then I have a set of discussion questions that I'd like each group to answer together about the story. Does that make sense? Easy enough? Okay, so the first, I'm going to give you each of the passages, and I'll give you a little bit of setup about each one. Um, so if you want to write something down, you can do that, whatever, whatever is helpful to you. <clears throat> okay, the first story is in Joshua 24, 1 through 15. And in, in this story, Joshua, who was the leader of the Israelites, and this is going to be for this group over here. Joshua was the leader of the Israelites who was chosen to lead them into the promised land after Moses was precluded from making it into the promised land because he, he sort of tried to be God himself. And so God said, you will lead them right up to the edge and you can see it, but that's it. And so Joshua was chosen as his successor and he led them into the promised land. And um, at the end of his life, near the end of his days, he did the same thing that Moses had done, which is that he gathered the community together and he kind of gave them one last big speech or sermon. And um, that's what's happening right here, and at the end of that sermon, he has this very famous declaration of faith, and um, so you can, you can have your discussion based on that story. The second story for this group, and, and anybody who's kind enough to join them, to sort of fill it in a little bit, um, is Acts 15, and it's 6 through 21, and then 28 through 29. Really, this story takes all 29 verses, but that's a lot to read, and so I cut a few of them out there in the middle. This is a, a passage that we've, we've ended up looking at a number of times this year, and it's, it's probably familiar to some of you. It's when the, when the Gentiles started to become Christians, uh, Christianity initially having been only something that Jewish people were um, embracing. It, eventually, Gentiles started to embrace it, and so they had this question, how do, we, um, how do we accept these Gentile Christians into our midst? Do we make them become completely Jewish first, before they become Christians, or can we just let them in uh, into Christianity through the side door or whatever? So um, that's what's happening there. And the first section is them discussing what to do. And the second section there, 28 and 29, is part of a letter that they sent out to the Gentile communities um, announcing their decision. Okay? All right, so that's the second group. Third group right here, uh, John 18, 3 through 11. Um, and this is something that happened uh, in Jesus' last days on earth. He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with some of his disciples at night when Judas, who had betrayed him, brought a small army of religious leaders and people of that ilk to arrest him. And one of his disciples um, made a decision about how to respond to that. And that's what happens in that passage. And then over here, um, the fourth passage is from Daniel 3, 8 through 18. And... um, you probably notice all these have page numbers on those screens if you're looking them up in those red Bibles. Uh, if not, it's too late for you guys because they're not on there anymore. But um, this, the, this story happens during the Babylonian exile. Okay, so the Israelites have come into the Promised Land and they've lived there for a while. They, they set up a kingdom. The kingdom divided. The northern part of it was conquered first and the southern part of it was conquered second by the, uh, you know, the pagan armies around them. And this is happening in the Babylonian exile, which is the second exile, when... The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, decided to invite some of the Jewish Israelite nobility into his court to 
to kind of try to integrate these cultures together. And Daniel was one of them, and then his uh, three famous friends from the Beastie Boys song um, were the other three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like a 25-year-old Beastie Boys song. Sorry, I'm so old. Um, and they have to face uh, what happens there because the king is, is sort of a megalomaniac and, and has a God complex and wants them to worship him instead of the one true God who they believe they should worship because they are Israelites. All right? And so that's what happens there. So you all have your stories. Now, here are the questions that I want you to ask about the stories. First question is, what decision, or we might use the word resolution, did the person or the people in the story make? Why did they make that particular decision? How did they make it? In other words, what, was there a process by which they came to the decision or the, or the resolution? And then, in what ways does that inspire you, given that it's New Year's Day and you might be making some resolutions, even ones related to your own faith practice? How does that story inspire you? Any questions about this before I set you free to talk about it? There are enough people in each group and a short enough time to do this that if you are not comfortable talking out, you don't have to. So if you just want to sit and listen, that's okay. Um, And don't be be ashamed of that. But don't everybody do that because that would be rather uh, boring. So why don't you go to it? I'll give you maybe 10 minutes. Or, or a little bit less, maybe. So, you know, don't dawdle. Oh, and do feel free to move the chairs about however you need to. It's okay to do that.
If I said five more minutes, would that be fair? Okay, six more minutes. Maybe another minute or two.
that's okay? I know it's not fair. I didn't give you enough time, really. If you haven't gotten to that last question, in what way does this inspire you, you should really do that now. Okay, let that last person finish what they're saying. Okay, well, half the fun with this kind of thing is when we take what we've talked about in our smaller groups and then share that with the other groups. And since there are four Bible stories here, we all want to share the wisdom of all of them with each other, and we have like five minutes to do that in. So uh, I need to ask you to stop what you're doing now, um, even though it's not nearly enough time to have done it well or right. I'm sure you did it well because you're all really smart, but... (laughs) Okay, so what I'd like to do is... Um, let's go in the same order that I assigned the, the groups. And if you want to turn your chairs, you can, or you can kind of stay like that until we do communion, whatever is more comfortable for you. But the first group had the story of Joshua as he um, made his last statement or sermon or speech to his people, to the people of uh, Israel, before he died. And what was, the, what was the decision or the resolution moment in that story? Right. So he, he, the, the choice point that came in the, in the moment of decision or resolution was, given all that I've just said about the history of God and our people and how he has taken care of us, you have to choose this day, he says, whom you will serve. You know, the, the gods that all the people around us serve or the one true God that got us here. And as for me and my house, he says very famously, we will serve the Lord. Right. So that's the... That's the uh, the decision of resolution. Um, 
and we, you may have touched on this already, but maybe somebody else can uh, articulate, why did Joshua specifically make that particular decision for him and his family, um, do you think? Yeah, go ahead, Brenda. Yes, he did. So I love what you said at the beginning. His people were being enticed, and they were by all the false idols and gods around them. And so he had to set an example. Um, he and, and he gathered his leaders together to say, this is what we're doing. Um, and, and what was the thing that you said at the very end there? That he, yeah, he was put, you're right. He was putting pressure on everybody else by making that decision and that resolution, which, you know, some people might call that manipulative. Um, you know, you can do whatever you want, but I happen to be the one that God chose to lead the people. Here's what I'm doing, you know. Uh, and, like, I would never do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was putting pressure on, on the people, I think so. So I, th- this question may not apply as much to you, but did you come up something for the third question? Anybody in your group? How, how did that decision get made? Yeah, it's an excellent point. Um, Doug said that he was looking at all the history that God had brought them through. And so you don't just look at, when you're making a decision or a resolution, you don't just look at the present and what you have right in front of you. Because as Brendan pointed out, what was right in front of them was, you know, the enticements of, of other cultures and other religious traditions and, and uh, you know, false gods and so forth. And so Joshua made sure he's a very good orator or a good manipulator, depending on how you look at it. Um, I, th- I would like go with the former, but he, he says, this is, here's the proof. Here is what has already happened. Are you going to just ignore that? Yeah, good. And then in what ways does that inspire you? Maybe, maybe one or two you can just say if that's inspiring you as you're looking at the new year and decisions you have to make. Yeah, excellent point. She said, uh, remember what God has done in your life. And don't just, not some kind of abstract way, but deliberately look at it. You might say, this is a good time to look at the past year and say, here's the ways I've seen God active and at work in my life. Um, And it can be really helpful to do that, especially at times when you don't feel that God is active in your life in the moment, at present. To look back and say, okay, there is more that that I can build on here. Well, I know you have lots more thoughts, but I'm going to move on to the second group here because we just don't have time to, to do everything. This is the Acts 15 passage. Remember the Gentiles becoming Christians and the Jewish leaders of the church trying to decide how to respond to that? Um, and what was the, 
decision or resolution, if you will, that, the, that they came up with. So they made the decision to accept these Gentile Christians into the community without forcing them to obey all the, all the parts of the law, right? So that was, uh, you know, it would, it, that's one of those things in the Bible. You can read through it and goes, it goes by real quick, and if you don't stop and think, you don't realize how momentous that is. You don't realize this was a group of Jewish people, a very faithful religious people, basically being willing to abandon almost all of their tradition religiously because of what happened with Jesus um, and in and through him in the Holy Spirit. They said, we are going to stop following the Bible <laughs> or we're going to allow others to join us even though they don't. I mean, that's a huge decision. I love this passage. You probably have heard me get excited about this before. Um, so why did, why did they make that particular decision? So, so there was this dissent and disagreement, and so they got together to talk about it. And um, Paul, you mentioned, uh, quote, quoted something. Is that, is that what you said? Was it Paul that quoted something? I think so. I, I, there's Peter. In, I can't remember which part of the passage is which. I may not have given you this stuff with Peter. But, um, but they basically say there's, this is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, don't they? Okay. One of those guys. It's all right. It's okay. One of those guys. Um, but, they, but they made that point that not only is this fulfilling scriptures, but we have seen God doing this. And basically they say, who are we to say, no, thank you, God, right? Um, and then, I, the, the, what does verse 28 say? This is the most interesting thing in this passage to me today, this time. Somebody read out real loud verse 28. When This is part of the letter that they send to the Gentile churches. Okay. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us <laughs> to impose on you nothing beyond these, these essentials. That phrase is so interesting to me. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit, which is where they would have stopped if they were just being spiritual, Right? Well, the Holy Spirit seemed to say to us, have you ever talked to somebody like that? I was was praying about it, and I just feel like God really wants you and me to do this, or wants you to do this, or wants me to do this, right? What a, what a crock of bull, (laughs) right? Sure, not that the Holy Spirit might talk to somebody or lead you. Of course that happens, yes. But, I mean, I think that strikes me as very honest. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, (laughs) that this is what we should do. So th- there's this really fascinating interplay between God's leading and their own reason and intellect that helped them make this decision, isn't there? What, um, so what, if anything, inspires you about that passage when it comes to New Year's resolution stuff?
Yeah, that, it, it's a reminder that we don't have to be perfect to be part of God's family of faith. That's a wonderful thing to remember when we're making those resolutions. Um, like, I'm not going to swear all year long, right? <laughs> Damn it, I already screwed it up, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, well, I guess so much for that. <laughs> I'm going to swear a lot now, right? <laughs> and this, to be honest, this is part of my anti-resolution thing too. You know, like I, people would, they would go about six hours and then screw it up and they, then they would stop caring about it because, well, they didn't make it through the whole year. And I think that is a lie from the pit of hell. Like it, you, to think that if you make a resolution or a determination to follow God in a particular way and then you make a misstep that you've blown it and there's no purpose in even trying anymore is a lie. So, yeah. Excellent point. I'm glad you shared that, Amy. All right, let's move on to this third group. You had John 18, the arrest of Jesus in, the, in Gethsemane. And what, um, I hesitate to use this term for this particular story, but what decision uh, or resolution did, did a key person in this story make? I was a little coy about that. I mean, maybe, maybe you didn't choose the same person as I did in the passage, but... Aren't you spiritual? Stuck with Jesus. Awesome. That's great. You threw me a curveball because I actually was thinking about Peter, um, who cut off the high priest's slave's ear when they tried to arrest Jesus, which strikes me as sort of a rash, slightly rash decision-making process. But, but you guys talked about Jesus. Okay. Well, which one would you want to talk about now? We have a couple minutes. You picked Jesus. <laughs> it's not what I want. It's what, God, well, God probably wants you to pick Jesus too. <laughs> and us, yeah. <laughs> it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us <laughs> to talk about Jesus. Isn't that nice? You get the whole Trinity right there. Um, <laughs> all right, so the decision was to stay true to what, what the Father had called him to do. That, that's right. And why? Why did Jesus make that decision? So it's, it, there's always been these prophecies, and this is, this is why Jesus is on earth, to redeem mankind through this process, which is going to be, uh, at the, you know, to put it very, very mildly, horrible. Um, and he's going to go through with it. Mm. Right, he made this decision at the, in that moment to stop the bloodshed because he... he basically held Peter back after he got that one swipe in. Jesus says, come on now, Peter. And I don't know if this particular story, I don't think this is the story where Jesus heals the ear, um, but he touches the slave's ear and the ear, you know, it's like chia pet ear, just comes right back. Um, (laughs) No, it was a real ear, I think. Um, But, uh, yeah. And so how does that inspire you guys, this this decision that Jesus made? (laughs)
Yeah. Yeah, so Jesus goes to them and says, Here, you know, who is he knowing who they're looking for? He says, Who are you looking for? Initiating that process. That's a, that can be inspiring to see Jesus taking that that step right into the you know right into the fire, so to speak. Um, yeah. Any other inspiration that you have from that passage? <laughs> awesome. I love it. Did you hear what Heather said? She said, if Jesus can do all that, then I can give up donuts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and that you, maybe that sounds kind of funny and, and maybe you're saying it half silly, but yeah. I mean, what did Jesus go through on our behalf and how ought we respond to that even in much smaller, smaller things? Thank you for sharing that. All right. Last group here. We got, we're, we're running long here. Um, you had... Uh, the story from the book of Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of this court from King Nebuchadnezzar, and he he um, he made this gold statue and, want, uh, and wanted everybody to bow down to it. And what decision did they make? What resolution, if you will, did they make? Right. Right, so they decided not to bow down to the statue, not to acknowledge Nebuchadnezzar as their god. Yeah. And uh, why? Why did they make that decision? So they, they knew who God was and, who, and how God was sovereign in their lives and that that was the source of everything for them. And so it was, um, in some ways, and you might say an unavoidable intellectual conclusion that they drew, that this is, you know, I'm not going to bow down to this king's statue because this king is not God. God is God. Um, did, did the pastors say anything about how they, made, how they got to that point, how they made that decision? Yeah. Hmm. They, uh, they came to it simply and quickly. They, they, they said, we don't even have to make a defense. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And then God honored their faithfulness to him by like giving Nebuchadnezzar the flu and they never had to pay the price for not bowing down to him. It was really great. Except that that's not what happened, actually. I didn't give you the rest of the story, but he threw them into the fire. In fact, he turned it way up first, so hot that uh, the people who carried them to the fire died from the fire. And they threw them in, and there's this mysterious fourth figure that's walking around um, with them in the flames, and then they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke. Um, So there is a miracle, but the miracle did not come uh, at what probably would have been the most comfortable time for these three men. But. So um, in what ways does their story, um, primarily maybe their decision-making, inspire you? And 
Uh, anybody from the group can shout that out. So there, there are other things that we might bow down to. It, it may not be physical idols that we physically bow down to, but we, we, sur- we submit to them our desire for people to like us or to have success and that kind of thing. And so it's in, this inspires you to remember who is actually God in your life. Good. Maybe one more person from that group, if there's another moment of inspiration from this story. That's fascinating. And it was one of the things we didn't, I didn't get into, and I don't know if you read other parts of the passage or if you just know, these were, these were actually, you might call them political figures in the court of the king. They were important people, and they, there was already some history there, and they didn't try to pull rank. They didn't try to plead their case. They didn't do anything. Um, this issue was so important that they simply said, no, under no circumstances, I don't even want you to make an exception for me. And that, that is inspiring. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, thank you all for your participation in that. We did go a little bit longer than usual, so we'll need to, um, uh, those of us who are parents need to, like, buy Miss Jessie a coffee or something because um, she's been down there with the kids longer than usual. Um, but I, I wanted to just give you one thing at the end of this to kind of tie things together a little bit. Um, as we're looking at all this inspiration from these decision points and these resolution points, and remember that people are resolute in their decision. Um, they're dedicated to this. Uh, I was struck by the words of St. Augustine, very famous quotation. Um, it was on the screen as you came in. Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. Um, and this, I think, illustrates and articulates better than anything I could say the tension that I was talking about before with it seemed good to the Holy Spirit in us. Um, between God's work and grace in our life and our own will and initiative, um, to do what, we, what needs to be done. And, and this, I think, encapsulates both of those things into one easy-to-say-and-understand um, axiom. Pray as though everything depended on God, because in one very real sense, everything does depend on God. But then work as though everything depended on you. And I think if we can... You, you could spend your whole life trying to do these two things together, and you'd always be doing one more than the other, and that's the way life goes. But if we can, if we can go for... 100% of both of those things in our life, I think that is the way we ought to approach um, not only New Year's resolutions, but that's how we ought to approach our faith every day, whether it's deciding to, to pray more often or longer or to read the Bible more frequently or more carefully or to practice this or that new spiritual discipline that we've always wanted to try um, or to go to church more regularly or to, to join a small group or any of those things. Begin that with prayer, but don't leave it with prayer. You have to also take your own steps and work as though everything depended on you. Um, so I'll leave you with that. And, and um, 
Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this day, this New Year's Day, when uh, it's natural for us to look at our lives and try to make decisions and changes and, and bring new life into our spiritual practices and so forth. We, we uh, thank you also for the Bible and the stories contained in it and the fact that we find inspiration there uh, as others have made decisions and, and been resolute in following you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us y- your grace and would give us strength and courage when it's necessary and perseverance to uh, live for you every day. Remind us, God, call us to prayer and inspire us to work. And uh, we ask that your grace would, would um, bring both of those things together and would draw us closer to you and to each other and ever closer to holiness and the model of perfection that we see in your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, I would like to ask parents to go and uh, retrieve their kids. And as they're doing that, we can take communion together. We're going to sing another uh, song or few. Um, We started late because it's New Year's Day. We may go a little bit late. It's New Year's Day. You'll get home in time for whatever football or nap or thing you want to do. Um, I, I take the blame because it just was too much stuff for, for one sermon probably, but uh, we're going to keep worshiping God together, and uh, while you're up and around, you can move the chairs back to the way they were, uh, respond at God's table, receive the bread and the wine, um, and let's continue to worship Him together.